Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast by the EMILY program where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. I'm your host, Claire Holtz, and on today's episode, we are discussing health at every size, body positivity, binge eating disorder, and weight bias. Today, we're joined by Maggie Myers and Abby Scott of the EMILY program. Abby's a registered dietitian at the EMILY program's adult residential site at the Anna Weston House in St. Paul. Prior to this role, she has also supported outpatient, IOP, and IDP clients within the EMILY program at our East Metro location. Abby's passionate about eating disorder prevention, and in her role currently, she leads a body image group where she discusses topics like health at every size, the non-diet approach, and mindful movement. She also holds her 200-hour yoga certification and has completed multiple trainings on the intersection of yoga, food, and body image. Abby, can you talk a little bit about your work with yoga? Yes, um, thank you. So I received my yoga training in, oh, roughly it was about 2014. Um, And through that training, I learned that you can use yoga in multiple different avenues. And what I found was really interesting was the use of yoga and eating disorder prevention. So from there, I um, completed a few different trainings through Eat, Breathe, Thrive um, with Chelsea Roth, as well as one through the EMILY program before I even worked here. Um, so I thought that was really exciting and was really helpful in forming not only how I work with clients when I teach yoga, but also in my nutrition counseling sessions. How did you find out about the training since you hadn't worked here? Um, so the EMILY program actually was always on my mind from college. Um, I'm from out of state, so I'm from Iowa. Um, so Iowa State, I was really interested in doing the EMILY program dietetic internship. Um, but just with how things fell, I ended up doing um, another internship uh, in my home state and um, just always had the EMILY program on my mind since I always wanted to work in eating disorder prevention. So. Once I saw a, uh, a position open up and it worked with my family, I said, you know, we got to do it. And here I am two years later. Well, we're lucky to have you. Thank you. Can you also, just before we had talked to Maggie, can you tell us about what mindful movement is? Yeah, so I talk a lot about mindful movement with my clients. Being a dietitian, we focus on not only just the food, but movement and body image piece as well. So to me, mindful movement means moving in a way that is enjoyable, that is um, fun, exciting, but not in a compensatory behavior. Um, So I shared actually with a client this morning that, you know, our bodies are meant to move, uh, but if we are using it in a way to compensate just like someone would do with restriction or any other symptom use, um, then that's where it can kind of be a downfall. Our other guest joining us today is Maggie, and she has a background in working with adolescents and adults with eating disorders, as well as many other mental health concerns in both residential and outpatient settings. She currently works for the EMILY program as a site director at St. Louis Park, and she strongly believes that eating disorders are misrepresented in society, and she has a passion for fixing this. Maggie also has experience working with binge eating disorder clients, and we're particularly curious about that today because we recently have posted a few things about binge eating disorder on social media, and we've gotten a lot of feedback about how it's something that's not talked about enough. Is that why you want to focus on binge eating disorder, or what led you to that in your work? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, personally, I have struggled with my own eating disorder, and at the time, um, there was not a diagnosis for it. Now, it probably would be classified as binge eating disorder. Um, And what I've realized doing the IOP with BED clients is 
the amount of misrepresentation around both the disorder itself as well as the people that are struggling with it. So what is binge eating disorder for those that don't know? Mm -hmm. Binge eating disorder is basically when somebody has a pattern of eating more than a normal amount of food in a short period of time um, as compared to your quote-unquote average person. Um, Oftentimes what people are unaware of is that it can also include restricting, um, some yo-yo dieting, compensatory behaviors, things like that. And so it really is a complex disorder. It's not just about overeating or binging. Going off the idea of providers telling folks they just need to lose weight as opposed to addressing the actual eating disorder Mm -hmm. concerns, I want to talk about weight bias. Mm -hmm. Weight bias is defined as negative weight-related attitudes, beliefs, assumptions, and judgments towards individuals who are overweight or obese. Weight bias often presents itself as problematic weight shaming, and it can happen anywhere at any time. So one example which Maggie gave us is where a provider will say, oh, you actually don't have any issue, you just need to lose weight and you need to try harder and diet, or something similar to that. Mm -hmm. Do either of you have other examples of weight bias? Absolutely. Um, And Claire, also, your definition was really great, too. Mm -hmm. And I think um, another way to think about it, too, is that weight bias can actually be a form of discrimination against anyone Mm -hmm. of whatever their body size is. Um, And a lot of weight stigmas that come to mind for me would be in those form of stereotypes, right? Mm -hmm. That people maybe often assume that someone who's in a larger body is quote unquote lazy, unhealthy, or only eating junk food. Whereas Mm -hmm. they may assume that people in a smaller body are then maybe healthy, beautiful, accepted. Um, And I'll remind people again that like these are not my core values or beliefs, but it is something that is so ingrained in our culture and society Mm -hmm. as a whole. And I, just to kind of go off of what Abby said, I do think that we have been taught from birth about body size and what's acceptable, what's not, what's good and bad, what's healthy and unhealthy. And so there are a minority of people that actually are talking about what me and Abby are discussing today. Mm -hmm. And it's something I think that we want to get on more people's radar because it is extremely important to the health of other people. What can we as providers do to combat weight bias? Because a lot of it's internal. So, for example, I don't often think about the arms on chairs being thin and things like that. So I'm clear, I'm sure I'm perpetuating it unintentionally Mm -hmm. in a few ways. So what is some of your best advice for how to combat that? Mm -hmm. I think that if, if you're working in any type of helping field and you're working with people that are living in a smaller body or a larger body, asking them what is gonna make them feel more comfortable. I mean, if you're living in a smaller body and you're you're more susceptible to being cold, so you might need a temperature turned up. If you're living in a larger body, you know, you might be uncomfortable in the chair that they have provided and maybe they have another option for you. I think that if you don't know, you need to ask. That's great advice. Abby, do you have any advice? Yeah, I would say going back to like myself as a healthcare provider, I try to provide compassionate and sensitive care to all clients that I see. Um, Because there is research out there and it is heartbreaking that people who are typically um, discriminated with their body size may sometimes not even 
um, attend a medical professional or seek help when they need to, and which could ultimately make whatever medical condition they were seeing, that's not maybe weight related at all, but make it worse. Um, and again, continue to perpetuate that um, ideal that, oh, well, it's your weight that needs to be fixed, which is not, and again, that is just plain discrimination. Um, and it shows me that weight stigma does more harm than the weight itself um, and is something that needs to be addressed. Um, I think all providers too need to be educated and seek out knowledge on like topics of diversity, inclusion, microaggressions, mm -hmm. um, things that they might not even think are affecting others um, and looking at a client holistically as a whole and not just as a number on the scale. On sort of the same topic, I want to talk about health at every size. It often goes by the acronym online as H-A-E-S. Could one of you give us a definition on what that is? I sure can. So I'll take the definition straight from their website, hayescommunity.com, and also the Health at Every Size book by Linda Bacon. It is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so Health at Every Size principles help us advance social justice, create an inclusive and respectful community, and support people of all sizes in finding compassionate ways to take care of themselves. Um, and I already hinted at uh, Dr. Linda Bacon's book, Health at Every Size, by the same name, um, which I recommend everyone to read because a summation of my own would not do it any justice. It is 300 plus pages of truth bombs, really. All over the place. Um, and <laughs> she, not to mention, she she references 400 research papers and articles, including her own, to back up these messages. And as I read it, I kept thinking to myself, why do not more people know about this? Why aren't more people accepting of this? But then I remember it's a systemic problem. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of big money in healthcare, dieting industry, and corporations, and they count on wanting people to lose weight so they so that they can make a profit. Do we use health at every size here at the Emily program? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And how does that inform our treatment? Oh, holistically. So one, one analogy that I like to use with clients um, is, well, in regards to body acceptance, and then I'll get to the haze inform, but in regards to body acceptance, I like to use the analogy that the relationship with your body is the longest long-term relationship that you will ever have. It's with you long before any interaction with anyone else, your parents, siblings, spouse. Um, and the truth is, you may love your spouse, right? You may love your friends, but you may not always like them. <laughs> the same goes along with your body. Um, it is impossible to be 100% in love with your body all the time. And I think that is kind of how I try to discuss in my body image groups around body neutrality, um, that that is a more realistic way than saying, I love my body all the time. Um, can you repeat the question again? Yeah, so the question I asked was, <laughs> how does the EMILY program use health at every size in our treatment? It informs all of our treatment here at the EMILY program, um, from the furniture that we provide to the curriculums that we have, to the inclusivity of all diagnoses and all body sizes in groups and programs. I think overall there is a stereotype of what an eating disorder looks like. And if you were to walk into any EMILY program lobby, my assumption is that nine times out of 10, you wouldn't know that the people in there have eating disorders because they look like everybody else. And so with the health at every size, it really allows us to get a group of people together that do have different bodies and they all underlying are struggling with the same thing. Yeah, and as a dietitian, how I use the health at every size approach really is from 
day one. Like as medical providers, we do have the information, like the numeric information, height, weight, BMI, and those other values. Um, but what I'm more interested in is their symptoms first and foremost. Um, so is someone restricting, binging, purging, compulsively exercising, or using any other sort of compensating behavior? Do they fear foods? Are they preoccupied with their weight? Um, there's many other questions that I could ask them in that initial assessment, but really what I'm gathering is going to be so much more valuable than just looking at a number on the scale and knowing how I'm going to treat them. Um, and Maggie had hinted at it earlier, but you can't tell by looking at someone whether they have an eating disorder, and you also can't tell by looking at someone what diagnosis they would have. Health at Every Size and even binge eating disorder, they're pretty new terms in the eating disorder field. And you guys have been at the Emily program for Maggie five years and Abby two. How do you keep up with all of that? There's so many new terms every year. There's new concepts. Is it ever hard to stay on top of those things? Yes and no. Working at a specialty treatment center allows us training and a lot of conversation around what's new in the field, um, what's changing in the field, what the research is saying. And so I would say for most people at the EMILY program, we do have a lot of information that keeps us well informed, mm -hmm. um, potentially more than outside entities that are not specializing. So for folks with eating disorders and let's say they're looking at the DSM definitions and they're saying these five categories of eating disorders, which are anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, OSFID or ARFID, which are other specified feeding and eating disorder, and avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. Mm -hmm. So they're reading these definitions and they don't necessarily, yeah. I know I was like, I had to think job, <laughs> for the listeners, I counted all the five letters for each of those acronyms on my finger. <laughs> But okay, so someone's looking at the definitions of these five eating disorders, and they are thinking to themselves, I don't necessarily fit into any of these, mm -hmm. but I still think I have a problem. Mm -hmm. Then what? Are they eligible for treatment? Are they not because they don't meet the criteria? How does that work? Come in for an assessment. Yeah. If you are even Googling or looking at a DSM for symptoms of an eating disorder, you're likely struggling with an eating disorder. Um, you know, we often don't know that we have an eating disorder until somebody tells us, mm -hmm. which is a very interesting concept to people without them. Um, so if you're noticing behaviors in other people, bring them in for an assessment. If you feel as though you are obsessed with food, thinking about food, over-exercising, um, if your weight is changing, if you're eating in secret, if you're isolating, if you are um, not eating throughout the day and then coming home and eating large portions, right? People think, well, I haven't eaten all day, so I'm just gonna eat at night. Um, that isn't normal either, right? And so if you're noticing anything changing with your food, your thoughts, or your body, call, get an assessment. The worst thing they can say is, nope, but we do recommend A, B, and C, mm -hmm. right? Um, the best thing that can happen is that you come in and you seek the treatment that you need so that you can live a better life. Yeah, and Claire, you did a great job listing all the five diagnoses. <laughs> but I think what's also interesting too is that there aren't just five ways to present right. with an eating disorder. Um, we, I mean, we see every client will have their own will have their own specific eating disorder, and we treat everyone as that individual. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, if anyone is questioning, curious, or feel very preoccupied with food, body, um, definitely come on in or seek uh, at least an intake with one of our therapists. Mm -hmm. We have two community questions for you too. 
The first one is one that I got that I honestly wasn't that sure how to answer, so I did a bunch of my own research, but I'm curious how you two will answer it. And it is, why are people healthy at different sizes? So why can two people who are the same age, the same gender, the same height, the same identity for all other reasons, be two totally different sizes, but equally as healthy? I'll start by saying genetics, first and foremost. So we all come from diverse backgrounds, family, ancestry origins, um, and it is just physically impossible and physiologically impossible for all people to be one particular one particular measurement and be healthy at that rate. Um, there is a really awesome YouTube clip that I would recommend called Poodle Science that is really creative in its messaging. <laughs> But its overall theme is that you would not, you would never force a breed like a Great Dane or a Lab to shrink to the size of like a Chihuahua or any other tiny, tiny dog. So why would we then in turn try and reflect that in humans? I'm kind of just in awe of that analogy. Yeah, is it Poodle YouTube? Poodle Science. Poodle Science on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I'll link to that in the show notes. I'll have to ask so you for it, Abby. Oh, great. I think as well, you know, we don't know what is going on internally with a person in terms of illness, right? Mm -hmm. You might have a larger body person who has no diseases, mm -hmm. no um, concerns with their heart, no concerns with other things. And you might have a person in a smaller body who has a low heart rate, who um, is malnourished, who's dehydrated, right? And so you you can't decide or tell which person is healthy, and yet we think we can. That is true. That is mm -hmm. true. I think that's a really good point, too, because that's something everyone in the community can do to work against weight bias and stigma, is to just realize that we do oftentimes innately judge people based on how they look. So I think the first step in combating all of the discrimination is to just check our biases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I tell clients all the time, you know, the best quote that you can live by and that you can teach others is to mind your own body, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Just like mind your own business, yes. mind your own body. Other people's bodies are none of your business. You don't know what's going on with them. When someone is losing weight and we say, oh my gosh, you look great, they could be struggling with an eating disorder and eating 200 calories a day. Mm -hmm. And that statement is reinforcing for that, right? And so while we think we're being helpful or harmful, mm -hmm. um, either way, mind your own body. My body is none of your business. Your body is none of mine. I love that. I've surprisingly never heard it. <laughs> but I am going to start using it because I really like it. Um, the second community comment we got is a story slash question, but the situation is someone who is concerned that she's struggling with binge eating disorder went to her primary care provider and had an annual checkup, and the provider mentioned, hey, you're overweight, you might want to consider dieting or exercising more, or what do you do for that? And this client, knowing herself that something more was going on, she didn't necessarily say anything to her provider, but instead mentioned, oh, well, yeah, I've been eating a lot to cope with some stressful things happening in my life, to which the provider didn't necessarily acknowledge that. And so she left that appointment feeling pretty let down, disappointed, and just lost on where to go from there. Mm -hmm. For that person in particular, what does she do next? Because right now she just feels lost. Yeah. Well, and you can't see us right now, but Maggie we're and myself were <laughs> silently screaming, shaking our heads. Yes, there was a lot it of is, gesticulating. It is so common. Um, a lot of clients will come in and say, but my doctor told me I needed to lose weight, so I know I need to. Mm -hmm. um, so that can be 
really, really challenging when they are hearing that. Um, but one thing off the top of my head that I think would be helpful is to seek out um, providers either through recommendations from whether it's other clients or from um, their treatment providers that are haze informed um, or body positive or acceptant um, providers that are more weight inclusive versus that weight centered focus. I normally wrap up these episodes by asking my guests what their best eating disorder recovery advice is, but I'm going to oh, switch no. it on you too because you've oh, been here for a while. <laughs> so my new updated question is, what is the best advice you've heard a client say? Ooh, Ooh. good one. <laughs> it is. Um, to be open and to be honest. Nice, I love that. Mm-hmm. And the same, I am just in awe of all the, I mean, all the positivity and all the feedback that clients are able to give each other. Um, And in turn, they have told each other then too, like everything that you're saying to me, like flip it on you. And that is so hard for a lot of our clients to to take positive reinforcement because again, for a number of reasons, but I was pulling up here. I'm like, okay, what can I answer for this question? (laughs) And it was um, a quote, a Brene Brown quote, actually that a client drew out for me. And it is, you're imperfect and you're wired for struggle, but you are worthy of love and belonging. Um, so I think a lot of the great advice I've gotten from clients too is is all those just little nuggets that I have either sitting in my office and thank you cards or at the Anna Weston House, we call them snaps, um, when they write positive things to clients or staff or vice versa. So um, that was one that came to mind. I'll say another one and then you can decide. Yeah. <laughs> I might use them both. Use them both. <laughs> um, I would say one of one of the most helpful things that clients have said is I've been there. Um, I was there two months ago. Trust me, it gets better. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think in the beginning of treatment, when you're in the throes of your eating disorder, you feel hopeless. You don't feel like anybody understands. Nobody's been in your situation before. And while no one's been in your exact situation, a lot of the people that, that are at the Emily program that you're surrounding yourself with have been in the throes of an eating disorder. And when they say to another client, I've been there, just give it time, at times that can be helpful to easing some of the the frustration and the fear um, and the hopelessness. I'm keeping both of those in this episode. (laughs) Abby's cheering if you guys, well, you obviously can't see her because you're probably listening on your iPhones. (laughs) All right, thank you both for joining us. Absolutely, thank Thank you you for having us. Yes, thank you so much, this was so much fun. I know, I'm lucky that you guys both wanted to be here, so I think this is going to be a very helpful episode to a lot of folks since right now, at least on social media, we're hearing a ton of buzz about health at every size and binge eating disorder. So I'm glad you guys were here to share. Mm -hmm. If you enjoyed this episode of Piecemeal, please rate, review, subscribe, or tell your friends. Here at the EMILY program, we believe that by creating an open dialogue about eating disorders, more individuals can find treatment and experience recovery. If you would like to learn more about the EMILY program and what we do, visit emilyprogram.com or find us on social media, all at emilyprogram.